This conference is all about bringing together that powerful triumvirate, people, capital, and ideas. In 2015, the Paris Climate Accords set the target of limiting global warming to well below two degrees. To reduce the disastrous effects of climate change, we need a whole economy approach. Business, government, and finance working together, taking swift action to reduce emissions, supporting and championing the innovators in cleantech, promoting leadership that sees decarbonization as an opportunity, an opportunity for innovation, an opportunity for global collaboration, an opportunity to build a better world for the future generation. The people here today, the people driving this change. Welcome to Innovation Zero. Awesome. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for like so many people coming in to learn more about an alternative approach to offsetting. We're super, super excited to have you all here. I'm Salah, head of sustainability at Klana. And uh, for everyone who doesn't know Klana, we're a global payments uh, service and shopping destination. And uh, when it comes to sustainability, we're just super excited to work with people like these that I will give the stage to in a second. We are super thrilled to announce today that for the third time, we are supporting new technologies and climate initiatives through the Climate Transformation Fund. And we invest this money based on our carbon tax, which is our pricing mechanism for responsible climate action. That is really not about making neutrality claims, but getting the world to net zero by supporting solutions that we'll talk about today that really help pave and curb climate change in the right direction. So I want you all to give a great applause to our amazing panelists. Um, thank you for being here. I'm just going to let you introduce yourself, starting with Morris from Silicate. Hello, everyone. Great to be here and packed room, which is really, really fun. So my name is Morris. I'm a former farmer. I've now moved to run a carbon removal company that works with farmers to permanently remove CO2 from the atmosphere. So we spread uh, mineral dust on fields. It breaks down and captures CO2, locking away for thousands of years. I'm delighted to be here. And hi, my name is Michaela Giaconelli. I work for Milky Wire. And actually, my colleague and climate expert, Natalia, was supposed to be here today. She unfortunately couldn't join. So I'm stepping in, not as a climate expert, to put that clear, but um, to uh, represent from the commercial side. So Milky Wire is a um, tech platform uh, that stands behind the Climate Transformation Fund. And we try to really find good and efficient initiatives where we can also offer transparent feedback on impact so we can scale impact in the best of ways. So hi everyone, my name is Nick. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Mission Zero. We're a direct air capture company. I'm actually you know, really pleased today to announce that we're partnering with Milky Wire, Klarna and everyone on a project that I'm probably sure I'll talk about later. But Mission Zero builds a direct air capture technology primarily that separates CO2 from the atmosphere releases that air back to the atmosphere free of carbon dioxide. We concentrate the CO2 back up into a really high purity gas, and that can be fed into a variety of pathways where you can turn into really cool things like building materials, chemicals, fuels, or you can just remove it from the atmosphere permanently for thousands of years by sticking it underground, mineralizing it, etc. So yeah, that's us. I'm Owen, I'm the Chief Technical Officer at the Gold Standard Foundation, and relevant to this conversation, also technical council member at Science Based Targets. And yeah, I guess, I guess my interest and, and expertise in this conversation is around how do we think about the role of removals? How do we think about the role of the private sector and business finance in supporting some of these technologies and, and making sort of credible use of them in their own strategies? 
Hi, nice to meet you. My name is Richard Piershouse. I head Human Rights Watch's Environment Division. So I am both a, an environmental activist and a human rights activist. Human Rights Watch is an organisation that focuses on field research and also targeted advocacy. Um, unlike many of the other panellists, I don't have an amazing technological solution. What we do work is a lot of, on a lot of the in, um, underlying con contexts of environmental protection, some of the policies um, and laws that can um, make uh, for better interventions or sometimes for worse. Amazing. Thank you so much again for being here with us today. I would love to kick off the conversation with asking you, Morris, if you could give us a little bit of an introduction into what carbon removal is and why do you think it is essential in curbing climate change as an alternative to offsetting? Thank you. It really does what it says in the tin. It's removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and locking it away for thousands of years. Why are we doing this? Because we have put too much up there. So there's more CO2 in the atmosphere now than any time over the last three million years which is pretty bad. And that's why we have all this warming, et cetera. So we have to take some out. So alongside the rapid decarbonization of our entire planet, I'm sure we all came here on public transport or some form of transport powered by diesel, I'm sure in some sense, that has to stop and we have to remove CO2 as well. So it's two big problems or two big challenges, decarbonization and carbon removal. So there's two numbers I want you guys to try and remember from this event or from this talk is 420 and 280. 420 parts per million is the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere now, there thereabouts. It's measured in Hawaii in a Mauna Loa. It's very kind of isolated, so you know there's interference there. That means that 420 number needs to come back down to 280, which is where the level of CO2 was before we started burning fossil fuels almost two centuries ago. So 420 to 280, carbon removal is all about trying to get the number from 420 back to 280. And it's extremely important we do this. And then the help of Clarina is allowing our company, Mission Zero, et cetera, to try and make this number from 420 back to 280. Hopefully, that's a good enough intro there. Amazing, really good overview, I'm very short. Thank you for that. So maybe handing over to Michaela. So Milky Way started the Climate Transformation Fund and we see a lot more companies joining like Spotify and Avanza. Um, and obviously some of these organizations are benefiting from the fund. Could you just briefly explain what the fund does, what is different about it and what is its ultimate goal? Of course. Um, so the Climate Transformation Fund was uh, put together in 2021 by one of our climate experts, Robert Haglund. And the ultimate goal of the Climate Transformation Fund is really to support companies so we can reach the global net zero target. The fund is a good alternative for companies that want an alternative to, to just usual offsetting or an addition to offsetting uh, to support uh, beyond the value chain mitigation, really. Uh, and the fund is... Um, supporting three different kinds of projects, decarbonization, uh, protecting and restoring nature, as well as uh, permanent carbon removal. So we, together with our external advisory group of climate experts, identify really the best projects and solutions out there to reach global net zero. So it's a good alternative for ambitious companies that want to support uh, and go beyond just caring about their own emissions. And we believe this is, this is what companies need to do and the new standards that we need to set in order to reach global net zero. Awesome, thank you so much. I hear beyond value chain contributions are kind of the theme that are like bringing you all together. I think for everyone who hasn't read this report, carbon gap report, the ambition gap gives a really good understanding of what a good pricing is for beyond value chain contributions. Heading over to Nick. So you started Mission Zero 
maybe you can tell us a little bit more about it, but also in this context of what obstacles are for these new technologies like yours um, that are on this market. So I gave a, a brief overview of what Mission Zero does, right? We're, we're delivering this um, process of direct air capture, which we believe is highly scalable, that gets around the constraints necessary to ultimately deliver what is a gigaton or megaton supply chain of CO2 that is necessary to feed into a variety of removal pathways. Um, but getting onto the kind of question at least of like what challenges, whether it's you know, direct air capture, whether it's other technologies like BEX, for example, even things in other parts of um, you know, green industries, hydrogen. There's a big issue, particularly within CDR and engineered forms of CDR, where supply chains need to grow in a massive way. Access to electricity, the growth of renewables, for example. And I think this like, gets back to um, at least we particular challenges as we go to, towards 2050. You know, uh, if I sort of pick up on something that Morris said, re you know, a couple of minutes ago, it's about the idea of decarbonization versus removals, right? I don't think there's anyone in the removal space thinking that we should just be doing removals. This should be decarbonization and removals. And we're doing removals because we acknowledge that we don't really have any other choice, right? We need to start kickstart this industry now. So this is in the right space from 2030 onwards to scale in the way it needs to move to 2050. And to ha like have that to be a reality, like, you know, we're going to have to get to scale an industry at a, at a speed that has never really been done before, right? So it's a big challenge. But permitting and planning, you know, there's a lot of cases where governments around the world just don't know what these technologies are. So there's a lot of policy engagement that needs to be done with policymakers, governments, local communities, getting that public acceptance test actually like on the ground and done as early as possible um, is a really important thing. And I think a large part of that is talking about it. It's about coming to events like these and ensuring that we're asking meaningful questions of each other. At least from Mission Zero's perspective, I can give you some insights into a project we're doing at the end of this year to turn atmospheric CO2 into building materials, right? It's really nice because there's a nice utilization angle. You know, it makes people's houses, it makes roads and pavements, it has social value. But you're also locking the CO2A in a really durable form for a long period of time the engagement we've had with local governments, with county councils, to get permitting and planning and figure out how it fits within regulatory environments is something that you know, we've been doing and, and probably we've been doing it for the first time and, and probably the UK government has been doing it for the first time as well. So there certainly are a variety of challenges that the industry has to come across essentially and, and to fix over the next 30 years to get to the point where this is scaled, it can be delivered and we achieve what we need to achieve. Thank you. Maybe a super quick follow-up question. Sure. Do you experience that sometimes you have clients or companies that want to buy credits and be like, but it's more expensive and uh, you know, why yeah, wouldn't the, you just um, do it? You know, I kind of just talked about the, the kind of infrastructure side of things, but on the market side, and obviously that's why this conversation is really interesting, is that I think we can all agree that, you know, Carbon removals are going to be a really big industry based off the fact that um, like it's something we have to do, right? It's the only way to essentially in many ways monetize the actual you know, scale of removal that we need to do. But there needs to be, at least from our perspective at Mission Zero, um, forward-thinking organizations, that's Milky Way, that's Klarna, that's Spotify, funding these kinds of initiatives and saying, this is what we think is actually best in class from a standards perspective, and this is what we think is the most catalytic to move this forwards. So not taking a really strong focus on actually the offsetting or the amount of removals necessarily, but what is the highest leverage use of the funds we have to enable change that will sort of echo down the, the, uh, the corridors of time essentially by 2030 and 2040. So Which I think is a really new way of thinking in that different. space, right? Yeah. Um, and it's great to see a lot more companies picking that up. Back to you, Morris. So you've benefited from the Climate Transformation Fund. I think you were supported last year by Milky Way and Klana. 
just give us a quick idea around, you know, how would this help you scale? How would this help you find new clients? And um, yeah, just tell a bit of experience. It was catalytic. So it happened this time last year or so, I think. And maybe just for context, what we do is we work with farmers to apply a material to their fields. That material breaks down. And as it does, so it captures carbon dioxide. That material for us is surplus concrete. Concrete's all around the world, and it's very good at capturing carbon dioxide. And it's very good at changing pH in fields. So farmers love the pH shift. It's good for them to get their crops to grow better. And then we also love it because it's removing CO2 for thousands of years from the atmosphere. So the money from Klarna, um, the initial round, and then the supporting round grant has been really helpful because we've gone from you know kind of tens of hectares in scale, more based in Ireland, I should say, to now hundreds of hectares. And we're looking at going to the US later this year as well. So this, this amount of money from like, so Klarna has been game changing for us, I guess. What else do you think you would need besides funding? Like if you'd look into this crowded room of people that probably have resources, what is it that you need? I think Nick touched on it. You know, this is all brand new. Regulators, policymakers, this room, I guess, we're all learning. Um, so we just joined an accelerator called 2050 Accelerator, and the Grantham Foundation are funding that. It's in Dublin. And part of the, one of the partners there is the Department for Environment, Climate, and Communication, the Irish Department for Environment, essentially. I think it's great because now we get to speak to policymakers about enhanced weathering, which is what we do put those two words into their lexicon and now they can think about it and kind of learn about it. So maybe I would just, if I could have one ask to the room, it would be to look at our science page. So silicacarbon.com slash science, learn about enhanced weathering. We have all of the key literature there and how we do our measurement process, how it all works, because I think to build trust in what we're all doing, and it's all kind of like removing invisible molecules from the air, it's through learning. So yeah, learn all about it. And we're happy to chat about the science and kind of, yeah, speak up what we're doing. That's a great page. You should really check it out. Okay, um, over to you, Richard. So you work with Human Rights Watch, and I know part of your work is obviously protecting environmental defenders. Where do you see Human Rights Watch and nonprofits like yours in this whole discussion around building this new ecosystem? Uh, thank you, Salah. And um, I have about three minutes, so let me try and use 180 seconds as provocatively as possible. Um, the first point I want to make is one that I'm very glad we're all talking about moving beyond offsetting. I say that for two very broad overarching points. One is because we're seeing on the ground, Human Rights Watch, certain carbon offsetting projects violating human rights. So that's a thing that's happening despite the verification standards, despite the pledges that it's not happening, that is a thing that is problematizing that approach. The second point I would say on the carbon offsetting question and, and why we need to move beyond it is the point that Morris began with, which is that, that we're at 420 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere and we have reached that level despite an explosion of carbon offsetting projects. So there's something that's not quite working. And what's not working is that there's an expansion of production alongside an expansion of carbon offsetting projects. So you're not seeing a limitation of that industry to the hard to abate sectors of the economy. You're seeing it more broadly proliferating alongside expansions of, for example, the fossil fuel industry, which is why I think we need to move beyond carbon offsetting. The second point I would like to make is that there's this intriguing possibility that 
the advocacy environment, the regulatory environment, the policy environment is part of the equation that we need to factor in to address emissions. So in other words, if we were, if, if we were already following the science, if that was enough to have rigorous science, we wouldn't be in this situation. We need to address the political realities at the same time as proposing um, the, 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 the solid alternatives and scientific um, alternatives to, um, in particular, around energy. And so you're beginning to see this intri intriguing possibility that you can actually measure, quantify policy changes in terms of, of, of actual CO2 emissions or, or CO2 emissions avoided. I'll give an example. We work a lot in, in Cambodia with a very particular protected forest, working alongside a community that's been patrolling its forest for um, a long time against illegal logging. When the government in 2017 banned that community group, which is a human rights issue, that's why Human Rights Watch is involved, you can see, you can quantify the explosion of deforestation. You can see it, you can, you can map it. In 2018, 2019, deforestation rates go up by about 20 or 30%. My only point is that you can actually, there's this intriguing possibility that you can begin to measure the, the consequence of policy changes. And when you get into the idea of measuring the consequence of policy changes, you begin to appreciate that this is part of the dynamic that we need to be addressing when talking about, about reduction of emissions. The, the final thing I would say in this is, is, is obviously around the fossil fuel industry, which is, the, which is the, larger, uh, the largest focus of our own work. You're beginning to see the IPCC recognize that strategic litigation is a scientifically rigorous abatement or a mitigation policy. So they will recognize this as one of the very few things that's actually working. You can actually, there was, a, there was a news article a couple of days ago that you can actually see reflected in share price the exposure to litigation risk for the fossil fuel majors. All of these indicators are, are, are suggestions that the regulatory environment, both in terms of policy and exposure to non-compliance with laws, have this measurable, quantifiable effect in terms of emissions either avoided um, or uh, in terms of non-production or a reduction of emissions from existing um, infrastructure. The final thing I would say is why a human rights organization is interested in this space is that one of the big advocacy advances in this space from a human rights point of view is the recognition in the last two years of the right to a healthy environment. That's now an established part of the legal tools we have at our disposal. I love that. Thank you so much. Just a quick follow-up question, uh, because I think for a lot of companies, it's like, hey, but we want to, you know, get something back. We want to buy credits. We want get anything in return of our money. So, how would you? What do we tell companies that would say, you know, you should still fund advocacy because you need that ecosystem and system change, but you may not get something directly in return. What would be your response to that? Yeah, it's a it's a really really difficult one. I mean, I think there's there's, there's various parts of the of the answer. The first thing is I think it's incumbent on us to be looking at the broader use of this particular market. Market. So I've already flagged my concerns about an expanding fossil fuel industry offsetting um, expansion of, of production as opposed to reducing its own production. So we can't do. We have to choose. You can't do one or, uh, and the other. 
Um, the second is that there is something that is measurable if the science improves in this space. It's always going to be hard. We're quite good at telling stories about the impact, but as I say, I think there's, a, there's an emerging frontier where you can start to measure some of these policy changes. And the third thing I would say is to, to in terms of advice, is to look over the long term. So you'll see, you'll see cycles in, in politics where things are going to flip, and you need to anticipate that. So the sustainability of the investments and ensuring that that is going to last over time is one of the things I think that would bring us all together. Love that. This is so great. Thank you so much, Richard. Heading over to Owen from Gold Standard. I mean, you've been around for quite some time in the whole climate space and known person. I would like to hear from you what opportunities and obstacles you see within the CDR space and like for an organization like you, like how, what would you recommend how to navigate through that fairly new space? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, looking at the title of the event, Beyond Carbon Offsetting, I think CDR has emerged as a, as a technology for companies to invest in or make claims about in an era where we've had, had to really kind of fundamentally rethink how companies should operate in a climate emergency. So when I think about, you know, why do we need to move beyond offsetting? It's because it's a suboptimal, Richard put it really well, a suboptimal way of taking responsibility. And so if we switch the, you know, we have a kind of Maslow's hammer problem where offsetting looks for the nail and even defines the nail, right? So if we, if we flip that question around and say, in the context of a climate emergency and towards the achievement of the goals of the Paris Agreement, what would a good company be doing? And there's lots of things they would be doing, but the two main pillars would be abate your own emissions in your value chain in line with 1.5 degrees. Um, that's a no-brainer. And not, you know, if you can afford to or you feel like it, and take responsibility for your ongoing emissions. And the second one's really important because the first one alone, you know, you are reducing your emissions, but that means you're becoming less bad until you're good. And that's not a great look. Um, you know, people will claim that and they'll say they're, you know, on a journey, but that's becoming less bad. Um, if you do the second as well, then you can start to say things like, well, I'm contributing to global net zero. Right. And then that's where CDR starts to make more sense because if you think about what the IPCC said back in 2018, it said this type of technology really should be grown and used to deal with the emissions that we can't abate by 2050 and beyond. So if you're trivially offsetting you know, your flight to New York for Christmas shopping right now, you are wasting the resource, a non-renewable resource uh, that we have for 2050. So in terms of what CDR practice, I think CDR practitioners are one of the most kind of articulate around actually. I think listening to the panel, they get it probably more than most carbon offset project developers. I think it's really important to understand that nuance, to understand where these things fit in the various frameworks for companies and sell yourself accordingly. I guess that's a really basic point. But if you go out and say, I've got this thing by my credits, you can offset, you'll, you'll end up at this cliff edge where offsetting itself takes you with it. Thank you so much. And I read yesterday, you announced a partnership with Milky Wire. Would you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, we were joking beforehand that we, we must have planned this um, <laughs> release just in time, but we didn't. Yeah, so delighted to be working with, with Milky Wire on this, um, who are a pioneer. And it's all about that take responsibility for your ongoing emissions bucket of work. So instead of this kind of very blunt suboptimal instrument where, you know, at the end of a year, a company says, I've got 50,000 emissions, I'll go and buy 50,000 credits, and it's whatever's cheapest, whatever I can get hold of, or at best, what I like. Um, we flip this model to, I'll set an internal carbon price and I'll finance high quality ambitious action around that. And so working with Klarna as a practitioner of high quality action that looks beyond your traditional carbon offsetting model 
it allows us to think about advocacy. It allows us to think about enterprise investments. It allows us to think about technology like CDR. So super exciting. Think of it more like the playbook for how companies should take responsibility for ongoing emissions. Right. Thank you so much for giving us an insight into that. I would love to hear from all of you super quickly. What do you think needs to happen? One or two things in your mind in order to make this new alternative approach a reality at scale or slash mainstream? Um, maybe we can just do a quick flashlight. Whoever wants to start first. Yeah, look, two things. And I'll go, I'll go soft rather than like hard technology solutions. I think companies really need to understand this point that, you know, abating your own emissions is just becoming less bad. You must take responsibility for ongoing emissions. And secondly, I think we need to shift a paradigm uh, away from self-centered thinking, I offset my historical emissions, therefore I'm fine, to something where we become global contributors. Without that, we'll all be working in silos and we'll never get there. Go on, I'll buy it. I was just being polite. Um, <laughs> I think I would actually echo like you know the the collaborations happen between uh, Gold Standard and, and Milky Wire saying like setting an internal carbon price. What we need to see is a global setting of carbon price, and to have it folded in fundamentally, I think, to compliance markets, because I think that's the only way you get across inter internationally across government agreements about what the rules of engagement are to allow this industry to scale. If we're all as you know, as Owen said, if we're all you know working off different crib sheets and we're all doing things in silos, it's just going to be wasted endeavor. It's going to be wasted capital, wasted momentum, and we won't get there. The opportunity we have, which is really small, will be thrown away. So, Thank you. Thank you. I can only echo what's been said. And I think it's very important that we now, we need to help companies really take action and make this the new norm. That's ultimately what we're trying to do with the Milk Wire technical platform. And our collaboration together with Gold Standard is a really good way of uh, making it easier for, for companies to, to take the first steps. So really standardizing and creating these frameworks where information is key will be, I think, a super important step moving forward. I'm going to go off topic here a bit. But uh, to borrow some words from Marty Odlin, who started running Tide, they're sinking mackerel at the bottom of the ocean. Get angry. Get really angry. This place is heating up fast, and we need to get on with it. Like just kind of dithering around, trying to half doing things. We have to get at it. And I think <laughs> what we're talking about here is really trying to push for something new, real action, not like kind of superficial stuff. So individually, let's get angry, and for our companies, let's get real about trying to do something impactful and actually tackle the problem, which is we are burning a lot of fossil fuels. We're eating too much meat. Etc. Etc. So carbon removal for, is important, of course. But we have to be getting angry about this whole space that we're in. Take action. Fair. Yeah, Richard, go ahead. Again, just to use the space as provocatively as possible. I mean, I think the conversation around net zero can only be a transitional conversation towards real zero. That's where we need to get to eventually. By real zero, I mean as close to real zero as is as possible. And we don't have, as, as Maurice was saying, we don't have a lot of time left to work out that net zero is kind of not working. So as soon as possible, we need to transition onto a conversation around actual uh, real zero. Awesome. Hey, thank you all so much for your great insights. Make sure to connect with those people there around and, you know, learn more. If you're interested more in Klana's approach, visit klana.climatesolutions.com. Thank you so much for being here with us.
to register your interest in attending, exhibiting, sponsoring, or speaking at Innovation Zero 2024, please go to www.innovationzero.com. We look forward to meeting you at Olympia in London on the 30th of April and the 1st of May 2024.